Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I hope you've got your warm drink in hand. My guest today is Miss Julie Piet. Julie is amazingly determined. She is also a mom and special education technician based in Montreal. Today, Julie shares with us how she handled her scleroderma diagnosis, how she advocates for herself and children, and a few examples of how, to use her words, she has luck in her unluck. Let's get to the episode. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Could you please introduce yourself for the audience? Uh, My name is Julie Piet. I am 37 years old. I have uh, an autoimmune disease called scleroderma. Um, It's a disease that we produce too much collagen um, and it attacks vital organs and makes your skin harden. So that's why it's called scleroderma. It means skin and harden or hardening of the skin. Can you tell us what the journey was like to getting your scleroderma diagnosis? My journey um, is an interesting one because uh, I always had, like, I was always, I always had something, you know, I'd always never like just feel well. Uh, I can remember it going back to as a teenager Uh, you know, like I'd have like crazy stomach issues. Like when I say stomach issues, like digestive system issues, uh, you know, I I would come, I was like eight years old complaining about heartburn and like, no one believed me because what eight year old knows what heartburn is, you know? (laughs) So, um, so, you know, like a lot of doctors and stuff like that. And the, the thing is, is when you're a kid, you you know, you're well treated, like the Montreal general, the hospital pediatricians, they're on top of things and stuff. Then you turn 18. And then it's like, welcome to the, you know, find a doctor, you know, so I was lucky enough uh, that I was talking to when I was in Sejap, I was talking to a, uh, a student uh, who was becoming a, a, like a psychologist. She was a student and uh, we were just talking and she referred me to one of her friends who was a GP. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, just a side note of advice that I give to people you talk to anybody and you ask questions, it doesn't matter because you never know what you're going to get on the other side. And that that's my advice there. Cause my, I got this, so I got referred to a, a GP who, uh, who took me on as a patient. And, uh, so that was one thing less, you know, now I have somebody else who's going to take on my, uh, my issues and stuff. And he followed me for a while and I still had, you know, uh, stomach issues you know, always heartburn, lots of nausea, uh, crazy bloating, you know, like you just, you know, I would eat nothing and then be completely bloated. Anyways, it's, it's, it was a thing. And like, it was, you know, uh, so then finally, uh, after a while of seeing many gastroenterologists and all that stuff, I developed a, a, a finger ulcer. And we didn't know what it was for a while. It looked like a cut that got infected, but it was not healing. So I put off going to the clinic because we all do that. And I'm, we're all guilty of that, you know? So I said, you know what, let me go see my GP. So I went to see my GP and the next day he called me in the morning and he's like, uh, that doesn't look good. I'm going to refer you to a, a rheumatologist. You really need to see a rheumatologist. So lucky enough, I went three days later, I got an appointment with the rheumatologist and then they sent me for a bunch of other tests. And I got my diagnosis. This happened, 
I'm going to say in May, I saw my rheumatologist. By November, I had all my tests done and I had the diagnosis. So like I said, had it, it, it was with my bad luck, there's luck. Had I not been there that day to talk to the student psychologist, you know, to refer me to my GP who took me on seriously, you know what I mean? Like it was just a, so that's my story of how I got uh, with scleroderma, but it does not end there. I have luck as well. I still have luck in my unluck because of this rheumatologist. He suggested that I go follow at the Jewish general. They have a research clinic for scleroderma. And they told me, he said, you need to go to this clinic. So they took me on. So also I'm a part of the research clinic at Scleroderma. So I get routinely checked once a year, like full body scan of how the disease is going and stuff like that. And I'm still followed by my rheumatologist and I'm still followed by (laughs) my gastroenterologist. So like I have a nice team of doctors. That's fantastic. Yeah. How do you manage your team or how do you manage your, your health portfolio in general? So every appointment I go to, I ask for a copy of every test. So when I go to, say I'm going to the uh, rheumatologist or I'm going to the scleroderma clinic, I always have copies of everything. So I make sure that my file is up to date with everything. I also tell them when I go see, you know, like I go see my doctor or my gastroenterologist, I tell them what the doctor has told me. So I'll note it down. So I know, forget. So when I go back to say which doctor, I have it all written down as to what was said, what were my complaints are, how am I feeling now about it? You know, kind of give a good outline of how that goes. That's fantastic. So you make sure you have a copy for yourself and you take notes so that you can share it with everyone. So that way everyone's in the loop and no balls are dropped. Nope. Yeah. Fantastic. And since your diagnosis, how have you been? Well, I mean, the uh, the initial, like I said, I finally am in a better place about it. I'm going to say the first two years, I was angry. I was angry. Uh, I didn't know how to deal with, you know, I, I was just bitter to the world. And um, yeah, it, it, it really is, you have to grow to accepting it. And it, I, you know, I have grieved in the past, but I don't, not that I'm putting grieving down, but I just feel like I had to grieve in my own thing of being like my life that I imagined that I envisioned getting older and being healthier for longer. Well, that's not going to happen anymore. So I had to make peace with that. And it really does follow like the steps of, you know, of grievance. You know, I, I was angry. I had, you know, then I was depressed and I was in denial of it. And, you know, so like after you, you know, I've learned to accept it, you know, some days are bad. So it kind of, you know, puts you it puts you back into like that. But you know, every day that you wake up, and it's it's a better day that you're not feeling the day before, then, you know, you got to keep moving. That's a good point. Did you go through that process by yourself? Or did you have some sort of professional help to help you navigate your stages of grief? Okay, so another side step, a side story in my in my journey is uh, right around the time that I got diagnosed, my son was having some serious behavioral issues at school. Uh, basically, starting in grade one, uh, it was just getting a worse throat as the school years like the you know, grade two was worse than grade one. And then grade three was just Oh, my God. Okay, so um, which brings me to a point is that so we were determined to figure out what was going on with our son. Uh, because, you know, you know, your son from zero to five, then he goes to a school, 
the only change and difference. And then all these behaviors, and I'm not blaming school by any means. I'm just saying there's something going on with our son and we need to find out how we can help him. So um, with this, the help of our, our son's school, we uh, asked for a social worker to come to our house. And so anyways, so I kept calling the CLS, the, at the time it was the CLSC, now it's say the Trois Anyways, <laughs> anyways, I kept calling every week. I was like, yeah, this is what my kid did. And like, I would like note down, like, this is what he did in the day. Like I need help. You know, like I was annoying. I kept calling, uh, you know, I kept making the school. I was like, can you call? Can like someone do something, please? Like, you know, and then we finally got uh, an amazing social worker from our, 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 our town. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was there to hear the, the whole big deal she's like there you know she she knew coming in that there was like tension in the house and then I you know I had to tell her that I was I just got diagnosed with a, an autoimmune disease that we don't know how long and we don't know anything we just know that this is what I got I have to go for more tests you know and then like my son is acting out and it's getting worse because he's probably feeling the tension of the whole household you know it goes in it goes in a circle in the house um so she was the first one to like just she's like why don't me and you just meet privately And we can talk this out and like maybe ease a little bit of your tension so that when you approach your child with it, you can, you know, you can figure it out. So I do advise anybody who gets a diagnosis, think of your children, they will know it, they feel it, it's the elephant in the room, you cannot go around it, but you need some support to tell them and have a discussion. And I'm saying that this is the time that you need to say, okay, this is where I need to help in these situations because it's not easy. It's not an easy conversation, especially you, the person who's dealing with it. You're just angry, but you're in denial that you're angry because you're like, oh, I have to be strong, you know, but you're angry, but you don't know you're angry, but you're super angry. So you're not, you're not in the right headspace to have these types of conversations. So that's my side of my other side of advice. Through talking with her, my son, uh, you know, it kind of got, you know, we, it got from there that we also needed more um we needed more help because my son still wasn't doing well and i kept like you know putting pressure at schools like there's something there can be something so then luckily my son got accepted into this uh child day psychiatric program uh at the jewish general um and it's through them uh through multiple family therapy that we got to understand that we're all very angry as a family because, you know, as much as my son doesn't understand, but he's angry because he's worried that I'm going to leave him, but he doesn't understand. He's angry. He's sad, but he's angry anyway. So it was just like a big reveal to say like, Hey, you know what? Guess what? It's okay to be angry. And the minute someone validated that for me was the, like the milestone was the big thing I needed to move to regain this, you know, okay. I'm allowed to be angry. All right. Awesome. Now I can move on. I can move on to accepting it. And like I said, so, uh, you know, through, through everything in life, you, you, when it's something that you feel you need, you advocate for it, you fight for it, you do anything you can, you know, you be prepared. And I will say, don't be shy. And I feel, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was like, I was talking with, with uh, my mom and we were talking about like healthcare and stuff like that. And I feel that some people have this, I mean, this is my opinion. This is not, this is my opinion, but I feel that some people feel so scared to talk to a doctor because they feel that they they are like superior to these people. And it's just like, we got to get over it. You know, just be vulnerable. These are the one people that we need to be vulnerable the most because these are the ones who are there to help you. That's their job. 
they want to help, you know, and if we're more honest and vulnerable with them, then you know what, I think a lot, a lot will be said to that. And I think it's just like, you know, and I like, you know, I've heard from like, more of an older population, and I'm not generalizing, I'm just saying conversations that I had were mostly with, you know, uh, older people. And she was and they were saying that, like, you know, like I'm in pain. I'm like, well, do you tell your doctor? Oh, he's heard it before. You know, he's heard it a thousand times. So what? It's your pain, you know? Like, so that's why I'm saying, like, I think we need to not be shy about that. We need to show a little bit of vulnerability and honesty. And it does go a long way because, uh, you know, with my own experience with everything, I was just, you know, hard on my sleeve, super honest. And you know what? I, you know, I've gotten services that I needed and, and it's helped me. How did you become this way, Julie? How, you know, this note taking, copy asking, advocating for yourself person? Was it naturally or did you learn that over time? So I was always the kid that, uh, you know, in school, if, you know, you're telling me to do something and I don't really understand why you're asking me to do it. I had a hard time with that. Uh, I deal with a lot. I deal a lot with this in my job and I'll explain my job. So I'm a special education technician at an elementary school. Okay. And so obviously mental health and, and social, social and, and, and mental health is where I come. Like that's, that's my passion. Um, you know, you see it a lot, like, you know, there's certain children that will need like specific tools. Okay. Like a a bouncy ball to sit on and during the day, because that's how they focus or whatever. And then you see kids and they get all upset about, you know, Oh, it's, you know, you have to, you know, how come he gets a ball and I don't. And I'm like, well, you know, so-and-so is wearing glasses and you're not wearing glasses. How come she has to, because it, you know, it's not, so you can see like she can, so it's equal, but doesn't necessarily mean it's fair. Anyways, I work with elementary school. So for them, they understand that, that aspect, but, but it works in life too. You know, it's just, it's, you know, it's just, you know, you gotta, my background is, you know, I was that kid, like my son, you know, always, you know, kind of put outside the classroom, always chatted, you know, I was always that kid. And I just always wanted to help. That was my thing. I was like, nope, I know what it is to be that kid. I want to help that kid. And thanks to my kid being who he was and me as a mom being as determined as I was, I think that was always my determination is just to prove that you could be that kid, but you still have something to offer. And I think that's been my always my drive. And that's what I do with my students all the time. You know, you could be that kid, but you still got something to give. That's lovely. So you were kind of naturally born that way as like a determined advocate for yourself yeah. and for others to help other people. And so what motivated you to become a special ed tech? My son, my yeah. son, 100%. He uh, just all the the trials and tribulations and emotions and, and stuff like that. It, it really pushed me uh, to follow a career in there. Um, and it was, I, once again, <laughs> my luck, the principal of my son's school saw that I had something in me to work in schools. So she uh, gave me a shot as a, to start like just doing uh, lunchtime supervision. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, I was doing lots of, sorry, I was, I was doing lots of volunteering prior to that. So I had stuff to report back to my, my son's doctor, like I said. Mm-hmm. 
we are that I was that parent I wanted to know I wanted to give a detailed this is what happens to my son this is what triggered like I wanted a detail so uh by she saw my I guess my strive and my determination with my son so she said you'd be perfect to work in uh you know as a lunch supervisor so I started off there and I went back to school um and got my um my AEC in um special care counseling and I got uh, now I'm a special ed- education technician and I feel that I have such a empathetic place at my job is because on three counts like one I lived it as a student myself and I've been the parent of that student and you know and then now I'm the person that like so I, I don't know I have three visions to it it's kind of nice and well it's kind of beautiful how well it pieced yeah. together so you mentioned that you know through your diagnosis with scleroderma, you discovered that you were angry, your son was angry, you guys ended up in this day program, and that has, I assume, helped him tremendously. So what have you learned from that experience that you think might be useful for maybe other parents or other families when they're trying to uh, break the news about a tough illness and then manage their child's emotions and feelings afterward? Get help and get support get there are there are support groups um with a lot of things you know um contact your locals uh, <laughs> um sorry it's just it's the name changes so often that yeah. it's just funny now <laughs> <laughs> um yeah like call call your clsc uh, sorry your c3s they have information that is what they're mandated for is to branch out. Um, there are so many online resources um, as far as like uh, local support groups. Um, you can even talk to like I know uh, with hospitals, um, you know, they have social workers at hospitals that, are, you know, would be a good person. Actually, the first person that you should touch base with, um, you know, I think a lot of the problem is a lot of people don't know exactly what services are offered. Mm-hmm. And that's where I say, and I've, I've said it at the beginning, is ask questions. It doesn't matter. Who cares if you look stupid or you sound stupid? I mean, it's in your own head, you know, like, it's true, though, it is, you know. <laughs> so it's just like, it, like, you have nothing to lose. Honestly, you have nothing to lose. So ask, you know. And like I said, I was lucky, uh, you know, talking about a support group uh, during the pandemic. Well, during we're still in the pandemic, but at the beginning of the pandemic, um, uh, the research group decided to do like these small like sessions uh, over Zoom of people uh, like in France and in uh, all around Quebec who have scleroderma. Well, you know what? Talking to people who had my disease living through the pandemic, that helped me because you, guess what? I was back to being angry and scared and, you know, you're, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then guess what? The person who was, you know, who was in France, who was also annoyed, angry and scared because, you know, like you're ever, it was saying like autoimmune disease don't go anywhere. So you're like, uh, you know, you know, I was scared to like open the door and, you know, like that, but, yeah. but you were going with emotions because that's what you were told. So you're just going to keep doing it. You know, you're not really going to ask questions. You're just going to survive the day. It became like, you know, in March, and like I said, March was kind of nice because it felt like the break, and it's like, oh, life's gonna go back. Yeah. Then April hit, and it's like life's not getting back. <laughs> so then, but you know, then you it becomes about survival. So you know, once again, like 
thank God I was vocal in the sense that they send you surveys and every, every so often and during the pandemic, they kept saying surveys and I kept being honest with my answers. Like, no, I don't think I'm doing good. A lot of, I have a lot of worry, you know, no, I'm not sleeping good. And it's about being honest with yourself too. Like, you, you know, how many times we say like, oh, you know, that like, oh, it's just a headache, whatever. But it, you know, that's like, oh, it's four days. I have a headache. Maybe there's something that's, that's causing the headache, you know? So that's why I say, so once again, ask questions. You never know who's going to know the answer and you have nothing to lose. And also just like, be honest with yourself. You know, if you're not feeling well, you're not feeling well, there's something wrong, then there's something wrong. You know, it's not normal to feel pain every day, or it's not normal to be extremely tired every day, or it's not normal that you're not sleeping every day. You know, there's, there's life is so important. And it's so precious that you got to take care of it as well. Like, I'm, and I'm also saying like mentally and physically, like you have to take care of it. Yeah. I know you mentioned Julie that you mental health is a passion of yours and you're a big advocate for it. Can you tell us a little bit more about why you're so passionate about mental health and then maybe give us some, some tips or key learnings that you have on mental health that might be useful for others? Why am I so passionate about mental health? I think because I've struggled with my own mental issues. You know, uh, like I said, my son has got diagnosed with um, uh, anxiety disorder and uh, ADHD and ODD and all that stuff. And I look at him with early intervention and, and right therapy. And now like he's thriving now, like he has an emotional intelligence that far meets some adults that we meet because he just knows how to regulate it. And so, which to me is if you can con not control your emotions, but at least control the level, because we can't, we can't stop what we feel, but at least if we can minimize how we're feeling them and like bring it kind of to a realistic point, yeah. life is just better. So, you know, like, so like I get angry when I see like, you know, maybe I wouldn't have struggled with all the mental issues that I had, had I had inter early intervention, had, you know, we've been more aware of this kind of stuff, you know, and like, I'm proud to say that, like, yeah, actually, I'm proud to say that, like, you know, with, yeah, so what, my son has ADHD, hey, you know what, it's not the end of the world, you know, like, let's rip off that stigma, please. And it does exist. I can tell you that much. And it is a struggle because I very well know because you learn about it every time we go, you know, you learned about like when we found out what he was, I did a lot of research on what it was. And there were so many things that reflected both my husband and I, and it's just oh, like, wow. yeah. So it, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, <laughs> maybe I wouldn't have been thrown out of class half the time if I was just probably like, I had tools in place to help me thrive, you know, <laughs> like, so I think that's what drives more of my passion is just, I didn't want people to feel how I felt when I was going to school. So you mentioned stigma, which is a big deal. How do you tackle stigma? Oh, I'm in your face about it. There ain't no, like, <laughs> it's true though. Cause it's like, and I say it all the time and I was like, you know, I've seen parents, they get all upset about it. And I'm like, okay, if your kid fell off his bike and his arm was hanging out, would you not bring him to the hospital? You would. Okay, perfect. So if you would do that, what's the difference of your kid being unwell? And when I say unwell, and I, uh, you know, I had a, my son's uh, therapist told us and like this resonated with me forever, you know, a, misbe a misbehaved child is an unhappy child. And that will always mm. resonate because I'm sorry, I don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to be mean today. I'm going to be angry. No one wakes up that way. So children don't do that. Like they're very much like us. We don't do that. They don't do that. So there's something that's causing them to feel that way. And then, you know, so the, which 
which I guess based down to when I was a kid, I need to know that why. So with kids, it's like, well, why are you acting like that? You know, there's got to be something. Yeah. And, you know, some, and half the time, the story on the other end is going gonna, is gonna to break your heart. So that's why I say, I tell them, I said, I tell them that I'm like, your son, there's obviously there's something there that he, he, he or she is telling us, you know, and have that conversation. And I tell them it's not an easy conversation. And then I'll put a little personal, like I, you know, I've been there, done that, you know, I understand more than the next person. And I think when you can, when you can, uh, when people can relate to the person, it helps with the news, I guess. But I also put it in their face, like, listen, your kid needed medical attention. There wouldn't even be a hesitant, hes- like you wouldn't hesitate. You wouldn't. I like that. <laughs> that. That's really nicely said. And I think it's an excellent point because we do tend, I think, to prioritize physical health over mental health a lot. But a lot of thing is too, is a lot of mental health causes a lot of physical health. That's true. Yeah. You feel it right in your body and you're like, why am I aching or something? And you realize it's some sort of anxiety or stress that you're carrying. How have you managed the pandemic, Julie? Like what, what have been the tips that you have used for you and your family to stay sane during this time? Lots of humor. Honestly, we are a funny bunch in our family. It's, uh, it sounds, it sounds silly, but I think laughter does do a lot. Um, you know, uh, like I said, I, I'll say like, I, like I said, the maturity sometimes in our household isn't very big, but it's very funny, you know, like, uh, so we have Alexis in our house. So uh, we like making announcements, you know, of certain things, you know, like, uh, we'll make a joke like, uh, uh, my daughter, you know, oh, uh, you smell, you know, ha 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 ha. And then, she, <laughs> so then, then, you know, it will get another reply and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's, it's, I think, uh, you know, it's just being, once again, honest, you know, like we talked to our kids, like, how do you guys feel? You know, how's this going? And, you know, we had, we had our moments, like my poor son, he was graduating elementary last year. So he lost everything, he missed everything, his school trip and everything, you know, plus he has anxiety disorder. So you're, you're always like, "Ah." and guess what? He's also becoming a teenager. So, you know, there's a lot of like, yeah. you know, puberty and stuff. So there was a lot of that going on in the household. So, and it's so funny because as much as you read up about it, it really happens like night and day. Like one day, you know, he's like, oh, cool. I want to hang out, watch movie with you. And then the next day it's like, ah, my parents, and <laughs> we weren't ready. For <laughs> we weren't ready for it, but you know, we had a lot of, lots of laughter, lots of discussions and you know what like things that bring you together so like we do like family projects and stuff like that and it you know redoing our backyard and stuff and I think it just it the how we went how we dealt with the pandemic is going back to the basics and back 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 to the basics is really turn it turn it off like turn the tv off turn the phones off turn the you know the electronics off oh don't get me wrong I like my tv I like my phone I'm addicted but just like the next person but it was nice to disconnect and like focus on things that made us happy in a sense that, you know, like, you know, we redid our backyard. We spent so much time this summer in our backyard. You know, we got to enjoy it. You know, we went for a ton of walks. We did, uh, you know, we just spent time as a family. And once again, we talked about our feelings and I'll, <laughs> I'll stress that because, you know, we tend to not want to, mm-hmm. you know, how many times do you say like, 
hey, how are you? I'm fine. Even though nothing's fine in your head, you know? And some, like, people ask, like, oh, how's it going? Oh, not too good. And then, like, you know, and then they're like, you're the only person who'll say that. I'm like, well, why would I lie? Yeah. What, what good would that have a lie? Maybe have, talking to you is going to be the thing that helps me today. You don't know. You have nothing to lose. Yeah. Nothing to lose and potentially everything to gain because exactly by, <laughs> by sharing, you know, you're, you're breaking down that wall for somebody else. Yeah. And guess what? Maybe the person next to you is also having a not so good day and you guys together make that, you know, make your connection because at the end of the day, it really is about building relationships mm-hmm. to help with mental health. And the more relationships that you have, and I'm talking about good, healthy, sane relationships, you know, it just makes everything just you know like there's a community sense to it you know and I think the beauty uh, and we saw it all over social media during the pandemic like all these people playing on their balconies and singing and stuff like that and like it brought community together and guess what hey I mean yes there's a lot of people who are isolated and don't get me wrong I understand that but there's still a lot of beauty in that and there was like I said I don't think I spent so much time talking to my neighbor I know them inside and out now it's super awesome people that I saw like hi 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 I totally know you know, their ins and outs, their relation, like, you know, so I don't know, there's something to be said about being kind, because kindness does spread. I know it sounds cheesy, but it's true. It is. You know? <laughs> Do you keep a journal? Because you sound like someone who's very reflective. <laughs> I journal. Um, I would, you know what, that's like the one thing I would need to do more of because I, sh- I, because it is so super therapeutic and I tell other people to do it. Uh, I will say though, if it's been a few days that like sleep, because usually that's how it affects is sleep for me. And I, I like it. And that's the other thing too. The more you learn and understand yourself, you catch on to things. So one thing is sleep. The minute my sleep gets interrupted and I, I could be uh, somebody who runs on two hours of sleep. That's just, wow. Yeah. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's brain. I get brain fog. The older you get, it's not, I'm not as sharp as I used to, but um you know, then I'll be like, okay, no, there's something really bothering me. I need to figure it out. And what's so funny when you, when you do journal is at the beginning, you'll see it's like all nice and neat writing. Mm-hmm. And then when you get into the nitty gritty, like of the feelings, your handwriting comes sloppy. It's very, it's very interesting, but it, you should try it. You'll see the difference. And it's very, then when you get to that, sometimes like my handwriting is not very legible at some points, but I understand at least that's where I was feeling it. You know, mm-hmm. so you, like, so you say it is important journaling, not only for um, mental health, but also when you journal uh, for your physical, like, you know, so like, say like, oh, I slept, uh, you know, I didn't sleep for a couple of days, but, you know, and then you kind of figure out why weren't you sleeping? If it's not an emotional thing, then you can go back. And so when you go to the doctor, you'll be like, well, this happens so many times. Uh, you touched on this before, but something I'm really um, enjoying about your story, and I'm sure parents do as well, is because you've lived it, you see, you you know, like, now you really know where you're coming from, where they're coming from. It's not like some theoretical thing you learned in a book. You're like, look, I know exactly what is happening for you because I've lived it too. And I think that's really cool. Actually, you see the relief in their face because it's automatic. I'm like, listen. I can tell you my son's been there. I've been there. And I even tell them, I'm like, I've been on the other side of the table more times than you can count. Mm-hmm. And, and then, I, and I was like, so I'm telling you, like, I have to almost confirm that there's no judgment. That's how, like I said, that's how we create these own barriers that don't 
I mean, yes, I understand like humanity, we're a judgmental thing. It's like an innate in us. I understand because it's like a survival thing. But I mean, we don't need to survive when we're talking into a meeting about our child's, you know, mental state or social or social inabilities because there are students that they're like they're sad but it's because they're lacking social skills so it's just like you know a question of as easy as like putting them not necessarily in a sport but maybe in like uh, scouts or something you know what I mean like why would I, there be any judgment or a fear of judgment when we're having these conversations you know it's just, I think we just need to let go of our barriers and if we let go of our barriers we'll go to the doctor and tell the doctor exactly how we feel and how our pain is if the pain is 10 don't say it's five it's 10 you know like <laughs> Great point. As we wrap up, Julie, do you have any closing thoughts? Any, I don't know, I don't top takeaways, lessons learned, anything you want to wrap up on? <laughs> you are your own advocate. Mm-hmm. And, it, and as a parent, you're your child's advocate, but you're your number one advocate. So you, only you know how you're feeling and you need to speak up for yourself. And I understand that it's like, you know, an issue, but sometimes just writing it down if you're, you know, writing it down and then you send it to your, like you write it to your doctor, like he's reading a paper. It's not, you know, it's, it's less confront. It's if you're worried about the confrontational part, well, that takes that away. There's other ways you can tell exactly how you're feeling without having needing to say words, you know, like, so I think really you need to be open and honest with yourself, open and honest with your doctor, uh, open up, uh, open and honest with your family members, um, you know, and, if you need help, ask for it. And you don't, and it can come from anywhere. So ask anybody. Somebody's going to know something. Ooh, I like that. Oh, I just thought of another question. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned, oh boy, you know, be an advocate, call, get help, ask. And I know in our context, it's like, I might reach out to that resource. I might make that phone call, but they'll say, okay, well, we've got a bunch of people ahead of you. I'll call you back in two months, three months, four months. So you call back in a month. They say two months, you call back in one. And because they like, you keep calling back. Like I said, you be the pest. And you, because one thing, if you keep calling, they know that you are willing to accept the help. Because that's another thing too. I think. And I mean, this is my own opinion. I'm not judging anything by anything, but I think a lot of times there are uh, the services have gotten burnt. So you know, they you know there are waiting lists, so they don't want to waste their time. But if they see that there's a somebody who keeps calling and demanding services, why would they like? They want you know they know you're willing and able to like you want it. So like I said, you know, so yeah, I've heard that same thing you know, well, there's a, like I said, with my son, there was a six month waiting list. Well, guess what? The six month turned into three months that turned into two because I kept calling because his situation kept getting worse. And, you know, on, like I said, I had documented behaviors. So it's also very hard to argue that there's not an issue when it's documented issues. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I'm saying, it's like, I'm not going to say, it's almost like you have to plead your case to the court. Like you're going to go up, but you're going to come up backed up and you're going to have facts. Like, this is what's happening and stuff like that. So I think when I say, like, if you can't, if you can't vocalize yourself, then write it down and then have something to show, like, this is what's happening. You know, obviously on a phone call with CLSC, but if they keep calling and you say, like, I, you know, I'm just, you know, I just need to know, did my thing, um, did my uh, name get bumped up the list? Because, you know, I'm still having a lot of issues and, you know, and 
that's like a two minute thing. Anybody can find two minutes in a day, even leave a message if you're too nervous. Because trust me, I have phone anxiety. I hate making phone calls, but which is ironic, right? But yeah. anyways, <laughs> but I do it because you know what? But like I said, I sometimes the, my go around was, you know what? I call and I'll leave a message. It's easier to leave a message than actually talk to somebody sometimes. So like I said, there's so many ways if you have anxiety, and I'm, I'm joining down to anxiety because I think a lot of people uh, generally feel anxiety. They may not feel that they feel have it to an extent, but I think like a lot of things, like when you said, like, you know, the, the person was like, oh, the, the doctor said in two, two months, so they'll wait the two months, but then, you know, two months becomes into three months. Oh, they'll call back. No, they said two months, you call back. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I won't even say, like, I'll say, uh, I've even, I won't recommend it now because we're in a pandemic, but I, mem- I remember one time I was really trying to get a hold of a, a gastroenterologist. I went to the hospital and I went to the secretary face to face. Guess what? Walked out of there with an appointment. Nice. So keep calling and in the interim, make notes of what's going on or, hey, show up. You never yep. know. Yep. These are, these are like strategies that's worked for people. I've had it work with the, you know, with parents, with their kids in crisis and stuff. I said, you know what? Show up to the, go to the emergency. Your kid's in crisis. Go to the emergency. Oh, what's the emergency going to do? Absolutely nothing. But at least you were there and it was documented. So the next time you go, oh, he's still acting or he or she, you know, it, it sounds like, it sounds like a waste of time, but there's so much value into it because they cannot ignore what you've, what you're, you know what I mean? Like it's data. You can't argue data. Yeah can't argue it. I guess that's my motto. Can't argue data. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming to the Good Health Cafe, Julie. We really, I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Well, thank you so much. This was fun. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Julie shared so many fantastic tips. Like her motto says, you can't argue data. Did you know that the Good Health Cafe also has a blog? Subscribe to our mailing list on thegoodhealthcafe.com to get updates when new blogs or episodes are posted. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram too. See you in the cafe next time. Bye.